Hey, good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. Make yourself comfortable and dry. It is raining out there really hard. Is it? Hey, you listen, you know you're talking to somebody, a guy older than 40, whenever they always say, yeah, but we needed this rain, didn't we? Oh, we needed this rain. <laughs> That's the most boring thing you could say. Um, so I won't say it. Um, hey, if you're a guest here, welcome to Legacy. If you're watching online, it's good to have you with us. Um, we have been working, or we started last week, a series on how to change. Traditionally, as a church, how we go through the Bible on Sunday mornings is just verse by verse. We, we spend probably, I'd say, 75% of our time working through entire books of the Bible. We've gone through about 16, give or take, depending on whether you count some books twice. We, we did Acts twice. Um, but then sometimes we hop out just for a little bit, um, helping our preaching team reload for the next book, which we're doing right now. But it also gives us an opportunity to take maybe one principle or one concept and come at it from multiple angles to be most helpful for you. And that's what we're doing right now. And it's the topic of discipleship, basically how we grow, how we grow to look more and more like Jesus. How do we change? What that means. And so we looked last week on how our change is incremental and today I want to look at how it is supernatural, because I think this is important in how we grow as disciples. It's important in how we see our growth, how we interact with God. I know as a new believer, I mean, I've been a believer since 1996 um, when I was a college student. But as a new believer, I struggled with Paul saying that we are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. I struggled with it because I didn't always feel new. I, I felt like the old had not really gone as well. It was a difficult thing for me. I mean, I, I had some new things. I had new hopes and dreams. I had a new understanding of what eternity looked like. I had a new love for Jesus, a new joy. Those were new. Um, some of my patterns and behaviors were new. I started showing up to things like this. On a Sunday morning, instead of sleeping, I would just carry my Bible into a, a sanctuary with great people. They didn't know that I was new in Jesus or not, but I would start to build community with them. That was new. Um, I'd show up to missional communities or DNAs. I started serving. I was a set-up and tear-down guy. Did that for many years. That was new. Served on the college campus. All that was new. And had you asked any of my friends, is Luke the same old guy or is he a new guy? They would have said, that dude's definitely new. He's definitely different than the guy he was. But when it comes to my heart and my motivations and my thoughts, I didn't feel like a new creation. I felt like the same old fraud, same old guy. So naturally, and maybe this describes some of your growth in the Lord, I felt like maybe I wasn't even a Christian. I mean, if I'm the same old guy, then I'm obviously not saved. So I struggled with that. And people said, Luke, you're, you're, you're a Christian, but how could they really know, right? The old didn't feel totally gone. The new did not feel like it had totally landed yet. So in my mind, either Paul is lying or something is wrong. That's the only way I knew to interact with the passage like that. So listen, if I described you, you feel a little bit like a fraud more than a new creation, I hope today is a little bit helpful for you. Or if you show up and maybe you have started to sense that calluses, scales have grown around your heart and you are unable to sense the presence of God. Maybe you're not delighted in the Lord like you used to be. Maybe you don't respond as quickly as you used to. Maybe you're bored of God, find yourself more dull. 
maybe a little bit darkened, then I really hope today is helpful for you as well. Because there are definitively two truths that we carry at the same time when it comes to what we look like when we're saved. And we carry them at the same time. One is that we're a new creation. (laughs) That when God saves us, we're clean. And when I say clean, I mean, hear me now, we are just as clean as Jesus was. We are just as clean as Jesus is. We are just as righteous as he is in the Lord's eyes. Yet at the same time, our feet hit the ground in the morning as we get out of bed and we feel, I don't know, doubts, concerns. We struggle with our growth, have bad motivations, we're legalistic. All of that's true. See, theologically, biblically, all right, I'm not going to be a nerd for very long, just for a minute. Right? Whenever God rescues us to the Father, to God the Father, you are positionally clean. We call this justification. If you read about justification in a book or in the Bible, that's what it means. It is just as if you had never sinned. It is actually more of a legal term or a forensic term in how we appear to the Lord. You're justified. But that's immediate. That's an immediate thing that happens right upon salvation. Now, the rest of your life, you spend growing into that to some degree, as we are cleaned, as we are purified. That's called sanctification, right? Another big word, where we grow as a disciple. I guess you could say that's what this series is mostly about. Until one day, Jesus comes back and collects us all. We see him eye to eye, and he brings us into this place that he says in the Bible, he prepares for us. And when we show up in that moment, we're perfected believers. That's called glorification, All right, another big word. Those are the three big words. That's as long as the words are getting today. Justification, sanctification, glorification. And we grow from one side to the other. So it is true. Paul is right. We are a new creation upon salvation. It is also true we're still growing. We're still growing as we change. And this is how we change. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our change agent. You see, before the Holy Spirit comes and abides in us as believers, all of our ability to change, all of our efforts, our strength to change is really on our own steam, which means we're not really changing, we're just kind of trading habits. Uh, Dry January, sober October, cutting cable, deleting apps, going to the gym. These are things that we do, but it's not really changing us where we really want to change. We're just kind of trading habits. The change that we really want, well, that's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Absolutely impossible. This is how God tells us this looks in Ezekiel 36. It's kind of a famous passage, um, and this is the context that makes the most sense. God says to you and me, and we're going to be in John 14, by the way, so if you have a Bible, turn to John 14. That's going to be where you're going to want to kind of open up and stay. All of these passages will be on the screen, by the way, but... While you're turning to John 14, Ezekiel 36 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So this is what it's going to take for us to change, right? A new spirit. For it's going to take a new spirit for you and me to walk in the statutes of God in a way that pleases God. 
We try it on our own. We try it on our own steam, but it'll be to no effect. In fact, I'm going to go a little bit further. This is controversial with some. It should not be. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot believe in God. We can't even trust in the Lord. We can't even have faith in Jesus. The very faith and trust we place in Christ is a gift to you and me from God himself. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And we know this. We intuit that this is right. I mean, before Jesus, I didn't accept God's stated best as best for me. And the things that he would call sin didn't really make me cower or cringe in any way. I didn't see anything wrong with a lot of it. And that's because I had a stone heart, unprovoked, undiscerning, unable to respond, unable to feel. I had a stone heart. Ezekiel's picture of old, unresponsive hearts being traded out with new flesh, discerning hearts, feeling hearts. This is a beautiful picture, and it's also a forecast of better weather that won't arrive for about 600 years when Jesus comes. And that's where we're going to find ourselves in John. So if you're in John 14, we're going to drop down in verse 15. This is going to be really helpful for us as we see Christ more clearly. This is what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is fascinating. It's fascinating. Go down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we need the Holy Spirit to teach us, remind us, help us, Show us, convict us, encourage us, confirm things in us, empower us, lead us, warn us. We need the Holy Spirit to change. In fact, we are unable to change in a way that glorifies God without the person of the Holy Spirit. And understand, he is a person. He's not a vibe or an electrical current, or a, or a wispy thing of fog, or whatever you see in Hollywood. He is a, he's a person. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is just as valuable to the gospel story as God the Father is. Does that sound like heresy to you? That's how far we drift. We usually rank God, don't we? God the Father is the boss. Jesus is the obedient son and the weird cousin that shows up and does weird things at weird times, makes people look like weirdos. That's the Holy Spirit, right? But that's not, that's not reality. In the tri-unity, there is a shared glory, an equivalency of glory with deferred role. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father is. And we have him in Christ. We have him. This is important, the fact that we cannot change without the person of the Spirit because Change is not about doing things differently. It's about loving differently. It's about having different affections. And only God's spirit can reroute our affections to love things differently than we did and hate things differently than we did. And that usually happens by showing us who Jesus is and God's love for us, that we would hunger more for change. That's the big idea of these passages so far, is that our deep change, that's spirit-led. 
our deepest change, that spirit brokered. He does that. Our change is supernatural. It's supernatural. I mean, yeah, we exert effort. We all do, right? And we talked a little bit about that last week. We buy books, we pick up books, we highlight them, at least through the first two or three chapters, right? And then we put them down. We we, we will show up to things like this. I mean, this took effort for you. You had to get up. You had to put makeup on, find the least wrinkly shirt in the closet. You had to get in the car, go back out of the car because you forgot your umbrella. But now you're twice as wet because you didn't have your umbrella to get out of the car to get back in the car. Effort. It took you effort to get here. It takes effort to show up to a missional community and to get to know people. It takes effort to show up to a DNA relationship and really share your life. It takes effort to serve, to set up, to tear down, to give up your finances. It takes effort. And yet, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is the one that's changing us. And both of those are true statements at the same time. Mysterious, but true. Real change, friend. That fits on the Holy Spirit's resume far more than it fits on ours. The reason this is important is because I want to look at what happens when we don't listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings. Or even worse, what happens when we cannot hear him anymore? We just can't hear him. There's so much noise, we can't hear the signal within the noise any longer. Paul says this to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4. You could stay where you're at if you want in John. He says, now, I, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Is this talking about believers? I mean, not in this case, is it? But, but can this happen to you? Can you have a heart like this that he says is dark and futile and hard and callous? Can that happen to believers? Absolutely it can. This is what it says in Hebrews. Now, we kind of double-clicked on this with a little bit more focus last week, but Hebrews 5 says about this, this is the author of Hebrews, says about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. They didn't come out of the womb dull. They have, as Christians, have grown, evolved into dull hearing, darkness. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he says, you need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. We also see Paul tell the Corinthian church the same theme. I mean, picking up even some of the same words. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, and this is really the context of this, he's kind of ripping on them right now because they're becoming factious. They're kind of dividing up and being campy. He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, catch this, are you not being merely human? I love that phrase. Are you not being merely human? That's another way of saying Are you not just denying the Holy Spirit's work in you as a supernatural being? You're supernatural. You have something supernatural going on, and you're acting like an animal? You're just acting human? Like just a mere human? Listen, believing hearts can grow calluses from the Spirit of God. That happens all the time. All the time. We can grow a hard crust around our heart, and it mutes our sensitivity to the Spirit. 
It just subdues it. It suppresses it. But we already know this, right? That when the noise is loud, we lose the whisper. We, we, we know this. When we choose to be merely humans, calluses will develop. And we're actually not even victims in this happening. We choose it. I, I read the quote last week that's not um, unique to me. It's unique to someone else where they said, every decision you make is a vote for the person you want to become. And we build calluses with the best of them. Listen, I don't know, I mean, other like six people in this room that know this, but back when I was a campus director, I used to play the guitar, right? I play the guitar, right? Not really, but I mean, I can do GCD. I could get my way through some old 90s worship music because as a campus minister back in the day, if you didn't play the guitar, well, that was a liability. You had to learn how to play at least three country music chords so you can muddle through half of the songbook and punish everyone with your lack of musicianship. And that's what I did for years, right? And this is what I can tell you. I can't tell you a lot. What I can tell you is, is you will over time develop calluses on your fingers, and that's a good thing. These little pads that feel like leather almost allow you to play for hours if you want to. But if you put that guitar down for a month or two or 10 and you pick it back up and those calluses are gone, it feels like you're, like you're playing on steak knives almost, man. I mean, you're good for like one song and then you got to tap out because you lost the calluses. Those calluses help me suppress the sensitivity of the guitar strings. It's, it's no different the imagery that we get is no different. Calluses on the heart and the mind, they mute. They mute our sensitivity to the Spirit's leading in ways that Paul says ultimately leads to death. To death. He says this in Romans 8. For if, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You live according to the Spirit, you live. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But I thought we all died. We do. And that's not even what he's talking about. I mean, there's different things that can die in our lives. We're going to get into that in a moment. But I want to drag you through the play-by-play -play of what this looks like. It looks like this. One day, we decide to choose the flesh instead of God's best. We know the difference. We just decide the way we want to decide. Even if it's a quick decision, it's a real decision. We virtually sin against God. Afterward, conviction. Conviction comes, right? That's that feeling, that sharp tinge, that stain, that thing that just kind of won't be settled down, that says that what you did is wrong. By the way, that conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that carries conviction to us. We feel the conviction. We knew it was wrong. We feel difficult after that. But for some reason, different reasons for different people, we don't change course. We might even double down. And therefore, every added thought and action that is against God's best adds another callus, another layer, and then another layer, and then another layer, and then soon we stop feeling conviction altogether. We just stop feeling it. What used to jar us, shock us, grieve us, no longer. No longer. We've lost the signal inside all of the noise. Friend, listen to me. This is why some things might not shock you anymore. This is why you might find yourself embracing things that at one time grieved you pretty deeply. They were hard for you. Now it's just normal. We might hide behind it, label it um, being free, uh, non-legalistic, but that's not, we know the difference. We, it, it's actually just us being carnal and desensitized where we've discarded our holiness. But now the alarm stopped going off. The alarm bells don't go off anymore. We don't even know. We can't hear. Can't hear at all. This is also why we catch ourselves judging people with a more disciplined life than us. 
a stricter way of living their life. They cringe when you don't, right? They say yeah where you say no and vice versa. They abstain where we indulge. This is also why every second we spend in silence before the Lord, waiting for him to come close, waiting for him to speak to us in his word, waiting for him to just nudge us, draw us, why every second feels like an hour. It's hardness. It's darkness. It's dullness. It's apathy. We're merely human. We're merely human. Man, I went through a season. I mean, I'm sure I've gone through many seasons of this, but I remember my first big season of going through this as a younger Christian. I knew what was God-pleasing. I still wanted to do what I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it, when I wanted to do it. And listen, it wasn't doing bad things either. I was behaved. It's not like I woke up to Dale Jello shots, you know, and just wanted to do what I wanted to, and I kicked the dog around every time he got in my way. I wasn't, I wasn't like retreating and, and suppressing the Lord's voice in those things. I was well behaved. I, I did what you would have called good things. I just wanted to be the captain of my own ship. That's all. I wanted to do what I wanted, when I wanted, the way I wanted. I had a plan. I wasn't going to yield on it. Friends would see it. They'd come by and try to help me. I refused to listen. I'd have moments of clarity. But like trying to hold a beach ball under water, I would just suppress it. I didn't want to hear what I knew to be true. Calluses got thicker. The noise got louder. And then God's discipline on me was just to lift his hand and let me get what I wanted. It was, it was to lift his hand. <laughs> you, you want what you want? This is what it will look like. And that was a judgment on me. That was a discipline. That was his love to me to do that. I grew miserable. I grew scared. I grew more calluses. I'd listen to sermons. I'd read books. And I would think, man, I am clearly no longer experiencing the Lord like I used to. I'm clearly not experiencing Jesus and his spirit like that guy is or that gal is. I mean, they're way on a different plane than I am. One day, despite my rebellion, God showed me my drift. Despite my lack of passion, he came close to me. And in this stunning moment of grace and mercy, he changed my heart. He changed my heart. It was as if he just pulled the scales right off. And I didn't deserve it. In fact, the only way I could respond is just, I just crumpled. I hit my knees and just through tears. I thanked him. God, thank you for not leaving me like I deserve, like I wanted. Thank you for not bouncing, for not leaving me. Please remove my calluses. I've been merely a human for far too long. Listen, I think I'm talking to some calloused hearts today, right? Going through the motions. Going through the motions, not misbehaving. It's just somewhere you stopped bending to the Holy Spirit's leadership. You stopped hearing. You stopped listening and stop following you lost the whisper with all the noise going on friend here's the good news if you feel god's pull today even in the slightest even like a hair pulling if you feel even the slightest that is the holy spirit today the very spirit of god the spirit that hovered above the chaotic waters of creation he is here for you working with you looking to change you you can continue to deny him, and some do, all the way to death, right? My appeal is to not refuse the Spirit's work in your life today. 
And understand, I've not said one time today that you all need to do better. My hope is that you love better, that your affections are aligned differently, right? Behavior, as we all know, and we try to make a very big deal of here, our behavior is always going to be downstream of our affections, always. We, we behave by what we love. If we have misordered loves, we will have misordered uh, 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 actions, misordered life. I think it's also important to say here that conviction is not the same thing as condemnation. I've already basically touched on what conviction is as a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's basically God saying, that thing is wrong. You're perfect for me, but that thing is wrong. Like, that's wrong. Whether we hear and are convicted because of what we read, because of someone reminding us, someone in community coming alongside, sometimes you'll just get this overwhelming feeling. This is wrong. Your conscience, your conscience is struck to its core. That's conviction. Condemnation is something very different. Condemnation is not the Lord saying that thing is wrong and you are perfect for Christ. Condemnation is saying you are wrong and you are not perfect for Christ. Condemnation is not something that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Conviction is, condemnation is not. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts, he does not condemn. And that's because Jesus took our condemnation. Jesus is the one that absorbed it perfectly. Justice, for the first time in recorded history, was perfected in its most ultimate form when sin that deserved ultimate wrath was answered in the person of Christ. You have Christ receiving what was due us. Righteousness that belonged to him was given to us. So we have this very beautiful picture of the gospel. We have this very beautiful picture of what God has done for you and for me. And what that does is it frees us from feeling condemnation. He balances out our sheet. He removes wrath from you and me, takes the judgment for our sins. So what this means is now when you feel conviction, your conscience is struck, you have that moment. That is God's love for you in the shape of discipline. I think what part of growth is for us is to not let it get beyond that. To not let that conviction turn into something insidious. But to know that you are perfect for Jesus, but that sin will lead to death. And the Spirit will let you know. The Spirit of God will let you know. So in response... We get to see how we can walk in this kind of change. And we're going to be in Romans for this. I'm going to turn to Romans. You can stay where you want in John if you want. I'm going to be in Romans 8, verse 10. And this is also going to be up on the screen. It says this. Paul says, but if in Christ, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of the sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So then, this is the response to a truth like that. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, this is important for us, that we are not debtors to the flesh, that we're not just merely humans but we are supernatural people that are edited by the Holy Spirit who is just as close to you as he was to Christ in Christ's final days. So when you read and you see this image of Jesus on a cross being held together by the Spirit of God, you need to know that Spirit of God is no further from you. 
You don't have a discount version of the Spirit of God in you. Just consider that. Same Spirit, same power. This means we can change. This simply means we can change. I mean, if this Spirit can raise a dead Jesus from the tomb, then that means that we can change. We can take our dead behaviors, our dead hopes, our dead actions. We can change. Listen, even today, if the Spirit is aiming at something in your life, and you can sense it today, even if it's vague, even if it's light, even if you've desensitized how it feels over the years, and you start to sense it today in one area, two areas, three areas, you need to know that God is intent on mastering that now, not later, now. There's no version of reality where God says, hey, you see that sin? Oh, I know you do because I'm showing it to you. Yeah, that sin right there, that's too big for you today. You're like seven years of maturing away from that. You need at least 12 books. You need like a solid counselor that you could spend some time with. I mean, maybe sometime in the future you could get over that. Maybe you can achieve some victory from that sin in the future, but probably not today. You're not there yet. I just wanted to show you so you just kind of knew about it. That doesn't happen. That's how we feel like it happens though, right? Because the Lord will show us something horrible in our life and we think, oh gosh, I'm powerless to change there. I can't change there. It's a supernatural change. God changes us. I mean, if you could lift the weight yourself, you would have already changed. We could drop habits. We could trade habits, but the change that really matters is by God's hand. Friend, if your conscience is struck, the spirit is at work, don't build calluses. Don't suppress his voice. Don't push him down. Don't decide to change tomorrow. Don't negotiate. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the moment pass. Don't make provision for that sin. Don't work out a deal with that sin. But on your own, in some place, in the quiet, where it's just you and the Lord, Feel free to just tell the Lord how you feel and what you need. It could sound like this. Lord, I don't love you like I used to. I don't love you like I, I can. There's a block. I don't know what to do with it. I've grown calluses on my heart. I have scales. I've, I've built a buffer between you and me. I've denied your spirit. I've grown cold. I've grown very bored, very dull. Please change me. Please change me. I can't do this alone. I can't do this at all. Please change me. I submit. I submit. I give everything to you. I'll lay anything down. You need a lot of prayers that sound like that. Does that fix everything? No, you'll trip. Probably won't even take till the end of the day. You'll trip. And you just get right back up. Why? Because you're perfect for Jesus. And he's perfect for you. Discipleship is all about round trips, isn't it? <laughs> but his arms are wide. But friend, if you live a calloused, dark life, Paul is not lying. Something will die. Your vitality will die. Your confidence will die. Your relationships, your joy, your hopes, your dreams, they will die. Something is going to die. And if you're not in Christ, much more is at stake. Your soul. Your soul will die. There's this fascinating little passage out of one of C.S. Lewis's work, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's this beautiful scene between Eustace, who used to be a boy, and he grew scales and became a dragon, right? It's a story. Do with it what you want. You don't have to read it. And then he bumps into Aslan the lion, 
right? So you have this interaction between this dragon and this lion. And Eustace is recounting all of this to a friend. And he says, I was afraid of the claws, meaning the lion's claws. He says, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. He peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. Like Eustace before the lion, you, as someone who is searching for Christ, potentially not a Christian, maybe not even sure where you're at, you have to be descaled. That's something you can't do by your own hands. Something you know because you've tried on your own steam to no effect. And it's not to just become merely a human, but something very precious to God. Something so precious to God that he gives his own spirit to. His very own spirit. Let today be a day where you abandon yourself and gain a new heart. Let today be the day that Ezekiel speaks strict to you where he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you, the Lord says. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Let this be the day that this happens in your heart. Let this be the day.